0: A warm servos from Munich, and welcome everyone to the High Tech Ventures podcast. Our mission at High Tech Ventures is to help turn science into a triple P dividend. After decades of focus on purely digital innovations, the wave of science-backed ventures is inevitably coming. And in order to tackle many of the world's most pressing challenges, these high-tech innovations are also highly needed. The High Tech Ventures podcast gives you the inside look at what it takes to create successful science-backed ventures. We truly want to understand the entire process, from lab to IPO, and hone in on the people involved. Entrepreneurs, tech transfer specialists, scientists, or investors. Most of them working backstage relentlessly. We will talk to those getting their hands dirty, those who don't shy away from the complexity, but see the opportunity to create lasting impact Based on the newest advances in science and technology. My name is Thorsten Lambertus, and I'm pleased to be your host for this episode today. Hello, G. Welcome to the High Tech Ventures podcast. How are you today?
1: Very good. Thank you, Thorsten, for your invite. I appreciate being here today.
0: Yeah, we have to be very thankful that we can have you on this podcast. You are a very experienced venture capitalist and we would like to learn more about your journey and especially your view on the field of AI, deep tech companies and how to invest into them. But before we start off with all this content, we would like to understand how come that you turned into AVC and became AVC? What was the origin of all this development?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think um, it, it's an interesting journey because I was with a startup when I first had uh, heard about the term venture capitalists before and venture capital, but um, and how they've helped uh, grow large companies and so on. But uh, what really got me intrigued was when I was at a startup myself, um, I was the head of product management, and product marketing, um, and we were going through our fundraise process and I found that whole journey fascinating because uh, it's like, who are these people? How do they know the future? I mean, because do they have like a crystal ball? <laughs> you know, what makes them decide which companies to invest in and which they should stay away from? Right. Uh, that got me very intrigued. I wanted to really understand the mechanics and the thought process, because um, I think as a technologist or as someone with an engineering background, you you always think about building you know, cool new technology, but not really the day-to-day application and why something would be successful or not. Um, As a part of that, when the time came and I decided to do my MBA, um, I ended up joining INSEAD in uh, Fontainebleau. And little did I know at that time that uh, the founder of INSEAD is known as the father of venture capital, George Dorio. And uh, when I joined INSEAD, my goal was to learn more about entrepreneurship and uh, venture. So I basically um, interned at 3i in Munich, uh, where in their venture arm, which doesn't exist anymore. Now they are much more on the private equity side. Um, But that was my first foray into venture. I really uh, loved it. I felt like I was constantly meeting people who are way smarter than me. Um, And I was learning a lot from the process. And um, I really wanted to, you know, understand the nuances of investing in early stage startups. So post my MBA, I actually joined Early Bird Venture Capital. And uh, that started my kind of my lifelong uh, you know, touch and go. I've always been involved in venture and startups from, from that moment on. I think that that curiosity and understanding that venture gives you that glimpse into the future. Uh, I think that kind of uh, got me hooked. <laughs>
0: Understood. And so the the startup that you were just talking about, where you were part of the fundraising process, were you a co-founder or did you join the startup in an early phase?
1: I joined the startup in a very early phase. I was one of the very early employees, I'd say probably like in the five to ten, you know, category. And unfortunately, we were not successful. A lot of what the VCs predicted actually came came true, I think. So (laughs) it was an interesting lesson.
0: And as far as I know, you are an electrical engineer by training. So how come that you said, I'm, I'm going to join a startup? What
1: uh, was your I motivation? Said, I, I think uh, my very first role after my master's in EE uh, was at Corning. And um, we we were launching a new multi-mode fiber, uh, like gig- a gigabit ethernet um, product, right? And one of our competitors had already launched. Um, And I, uh, but still, I think we saw a level of success. And from that point on, I I always felt like it's not about first to market. It's not always about the technology. There's something more. Um, So you can have the, next biggest technology innovation that you think, but if your customers don't use it, you've kind of, it's it's at the end of the day, a pet project and nothing more. Um, I think that's what got me interested on the business side, because all innovations can be um, meaningful only if it's adopted by customers. So uh, it's great So it's only great when it reaches the users, right? So that was my first lesson, and to me, venture was a way to um, see and understand which could have that, uh, which technologies could have that impact, and also maybe play a very small part uh, in that journey of that technologies making it to the mainstream or get get to the hands of the users.
0: Okay, so today you are working for Micron, which is a big semiconductor company and you're investing on behalf of Micron into startups. So when you now look back to your early days as a VC, what have you come to learn until today, where I said, if I had known that way earlier, that would have been great. What what are the key lessons for you?
1: Uh, The key lessons for me is that hindsight, everything feels very obvious, (laughs) (laughs) but it is never the case. Um, And just when you think, frankly, that something is, uh, you know, that you understand something, I I feel like the market throws you a curveball, right? Um, Mm. uh, Let's take last year as an example. I guess, uh, given the times, we cannot not talk about COVID, right? Who knew it was coming? Who knew that we would be doing uh, investments over, you know, video conference tools as opposed to in-person meeting? Uh, it's completely disrupted venture, right? The way we operate and do venture. So I, I think there are a lot of lessons learned, uh, but I would also say that it, it, if anything, it's also taught me not to get fixated to those lessons and keep an open mind. Um, but fundamentally, in terms of lessons learned, I would say um, the fundamentals never change, right? Uh, the team, the market uh, and the technology and never underestimate the use, ease of use of those technology. Um, if anything, if you look at the success of, uh, I mean, everyone likes to talk about Apple products, right? If you look at the success of iPhone and so on, uh, the, the simplicity and ease of use of those technologies have have a great deal to do with adoption. Um, it doesn't matter how awesome your technology is in the back end, but if your user interface is not, you know, interesting. So from that standpoint, I think those are the fundamentals, but then there's always some curveball that will get thrown. And then you have to know that's where the team comes to play. I mean, is the team resilient enough to adapt to what, you know, the market throws at them? Can they, can they survive that? Can they see opportunities where everyone else sees a threat? Um, can they make lemonade when they're given lemons? <laughs> essentially, so um, that's that's my biggest lesson learned: is uh, uh, understand the people and see if uh, that you know they they make or break the companies that they build.
0: This is a very interesting topic because also already on this podcast, we always, of course, stumble upon the team issue in the sense that you need to understand, are these the right people to build this, that venture? And of course, it's one of the key cr- criteria for any investor to look at this team. So how is your approach of assessing whether it's the right people doing it? Because there is different approach. And, and at the same time, there's more data-driven VCs popping up as well. The human nature is probably the most qualitative thing or the hardest thing to quantify. Is there a, so is it just gut feeling and your understanding, are these the right people? How, how do you go about that?
1: I, I think it's um, it's a combination, right? I, I, I absolutely believe in the value of data and uh, I, I think there's a place for it. And the the place where we as humans, I mean, we are going to talk about AI too. So I think the place where at this point in time, uh, we as humans differ from uh, AI is that gut instinct, is that feeling um, and the ability to dig and peel the layers and see what's behind, right? Um, in terms of team diligence, it it largely depends on the stage of the company, right? If you're looking at really early stage company, if you're, if you're looking at a company that's in its seed or pre-seed stage, you really don't have anything else other than the team. To look at. And at that point, you you know the what you're looking for in the founder is very different from probably a late stage, you know, investment. And what I mean by that is in the very early stages of the company, um, it's it's pretty much, you know, the founder needs to be Almost multi dimensional, but also a salesperson, right? Because think about it this way: they they have this awesome technology, but they should be able to communicate that value of that technology to different stakeholders uh, who are looking at it from different perspective. A customer is looking at what can the technology do for me, and investor is looking at the at at the uh, technology and the startup and going is this going to make money for me right so very different perspectives and they need to tailor um tailor their message accordingly and then third uh, third stakeholder the employers um, i'm sorry the employees that they're trying to hire right how do you you have this grand vision of what you want to build how do you communicate that vision and get other people equally excited about your vision and join. Because if you think about it, when markets are hot, talent is hard to come by. And so you need to be able to attract that talent. You need those people who will come and join you and make make your company that success. So essentially, if you think about it, technology and their technical strength is a very small part Of what they need to do right it's can they build the right team around them can they sell their story to the customers can they sell the story to the investors right those are all elements that bring success so and i you know just as in life uh, one person may not be able to do everything and it's okay Uh, it's about the self-realization that they have to say i'm good at this I'm not good at, you know, let's say I'm good at the technology piece, I'm not good at the business and the sales piece and the visionary aspect of it, right? Uh, Then I go bring that person uh, or find that person that, you know, that can help me in that journey that complements me and brings that together, right? Um, You always see that kind of good teams that that are able to do that. Uh, It's not necessary to find that in one person. Um, and then in later stages, I also look at how open are these, you know, founders or the key management team members in terms of receiving feedback. I'm not saying that what I, what I or any other investor says is the right thing, uh, because frankly, if I, if I have a ton of respect for entrepreneurs, they believe in that vision that they're building, and they spend night and day, twenty four seven, on that. Right? It's hard for a VC who's sort of looking at 10 different things to come be an expert in that area but at the same time there is some value to looking at a problem with a different lens because when you are so deep in it maybe you you're missing a perspective that you know a vc may bring to the table recognizing that and being open to it and acknowledging ah oh, maybe there's something there and looking into it and you know that kind of openness is something that i that i look for um a very self realized human being that's, you know, <laughs> and then you do your standard diligence, right? Talk to others, you know, reference calls and such. But that that's the kind of thing that your gut tells you, and if you look at it, the gut is nothing magical, right? Uh, It's taking data that you know, you know, as human beings, we interact with humans from the day we are born. So it's pattern matching in the back of your mind in terms of, okay, is this a person that you think you can relate to? Do they have those things that... And that's what the gut is trying to tell you, right? So that's what I'm I'm looking for, I guess.
0: And do you have a preference for and have you seen that there's maybe people co-founding a company who are engineers, scientists, and maybe in the very beginning, they don't have the capabilities to to also communicate that value to, to attract the right talents into the company, but you actually see them going through this journey and develop themselves and becoming really strong CEOs also in later stages? Or are you one of the people favoring like then bring in uh, experienced management people or people who already managed later stage CEOs, uh, companies. Uh,
1: I wouldn't call myself experienced enough to say I know that journey, but my, um, my fundamental belief is nobody can, um, you know, I, I would like to give the founder the, you know, opportunity and, and the benefit of the doubt, Uh, to grow into their role, unless they know, as I said, if they're very self-aware and say, hey, I'm good at this, I don't want to do this, because sometimes you don't want to put someone in a spot that they're not comfortable with. Um, Then you're losing out on their natural skill set, and they're forced into a function that they're not necessarily good at and don't enjoy. And if they don't enjoy it, then it's no fun, right? So if True. if they are <laughs> conscious of that and say, I'm not good at this, I want someone to compliment, great. Um, but having that founder influence to me is very important because I think no one can communicate the passion uh, for what what they what they bring to the table, even if they're not able to sell to customers. Or I think in terms of being able to recruit talent, Right. Uh, at least technical talent, because someone will see that passion if they're a technical founder. Right. And they'll see that te- again, e- recruiting people for different roles also takes skills. Right. A technical person is not necessarily interested to. S- in the business aspect of the, what the founder is building, but is this a technical challenge that they want to take on? And so that's where a technical founder shines because they can attract that top technical talent uh, because they know what why it is important and what challenges lie ahead. So I, I'm not of the belief that you should always swap out, but it, I think you grow with the founder, you understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, and you try to complement them. But, people. And then if if things are not going well, then obviously you have to make the tough call. But I think that's not my first go to option.
0: And we already touched upon AI. And probably attracting talent in AI is becoming increasingly difficult because there's many companies looking for the same talent. How did you enter the field and what fascinates you about AI in general before we come to your role at Micron
1: Sure. Yeah, um, I think um, prior to Micron, I was at a couple of other startups, and prior to that, I was at Dell. Um, and when I was at Dell, we were, you know, looking at big data, right? Uh, so even a big data was a big buzzword at that time. And uh, besides cloud, and I used to joke that big data is meaningless if uh, you don't get any value from the data, right? It's not just about the big data; it's always about the insights that you can get. Um, so from that time, I would say I've always been interested in the value of data. Uh, what can data do? Um, you can't. It's not about just meaninglessly just getting as much data as you can and just sitting on it. But what can you do with that data? And that's where, again, I think machine shine is being able to digest that large volumes of data and being able to give you some insights, right? Um, So back in those days, it used to be statistical models and advanced analytics was basically, you know, very... Uh, advanced statistical modeling um, and then slowly started the you know machine learning then you he- heard about deep learning and so on so in in my mind it's just been an evolution um right So, uh, neural network. uh, I I don't know if um, I don't think you'll know this, but my uh, in my undergraduate degree, uh, I actually uh, wrote a paper on neural networks and fuzzy logic. So this is I don't want to date myself, but this is easily way over two decades ago, right? So, um, neural networks is not nothing nothing new, but it's how it's being applied today. So I think um, the the ability to draw insights. From data, I think that's this is this is one more tool in that journey. Um, but again, <laughs> AI is uh, very loosely thrown about around, right? The term artificial intelligence. There is the what you see in the movies where you know robots taking over the world and they have like consciousness. And then there is the you know um, Amazon or Netflix recommendation on what movie to watch and what thing to buy. Um, the, the one we see in the movies is the artificial general intelligence, right? And what we see in day-to-day today is more of the artificial narrow intelligence, which is very focused on specific tasks. They're not trying to replace human beings, but they're trying to automate certain pieces of it. So um, there's that spectrum, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a couple of months ago, there was a study being conducted in Europe that was looking at the AI startup landscape it- by a VC and actually the result was most startups saying we are a AI startup actually didn't apply AI at all. I think it very much depends on how you define that you already started this discussion right now. Right. Uh, but yeah, it seems like that many of the it is a buzzword, it, it helps you to get the right attention. But of course, serious applications of really uh, deep machine learning, neural networks, AI um, and what, all the, all what we see in the movies is probably still sometime down the road. Or how do you see the field? How many really serious AI applications do you see?
1: Uh, I I see in the narrow sense, right? Artificial narrow intelligence. I see quite a bit, uh, and I see the you know advanced models as well, couched as AI. But then when you ask them, they'll say, "Yeah, it's just models right now." But in the future, we plan to deploy these kind of uh, AI models and such. But um, I think it's becoming more prevalent. I would say most of the focus is very much uh, specific, vertical, specific, or use case specific. Right. Um, And I I also at this point, I think AI is a tool. It's not like the general intelligence that I alluded to, like in the movies and such. Uh, And I think that's a little far out, in my personal opinion, because the real world is chaotic and messy until you are able to, you know, um, model something that can take all of those inputs and, you know, learn like a human child or a human being, I think that's a little harder to replicate and will take some time. Um, But I think application of AI in specific context for specific use cases is here today. Um, And it's only getting uh, much wider adoption as well. Um, I do call certain things AI wash. Uh, Again, back in the day when cloud was a thing, there was cloud wash. A lot of companies claimed that they were cloud. And then when you uh, literally peel the layers, they were basically, you know, uh, hosted in some data center, and they had subs- subscription model, and then they called it cloud. I think you see some of that in AI, but uh, but I'm seeing more and more companies who are truly w- building you know authentic AI solutions. Um, but it's also become so prevalent that it's part of a solution. Um, To me, if a company is still talking about, oh, AI, uh, I'm a little skeptical, but if they talk about what they're addressing, the problem they're addressing and how they're leveraging AI, then it becomes more interesting.
0: So the question for me is like, where lies the complexity of building AI startups and to what extent is this different when compared, for example, to other startups?
1: Um, I think you called out one uh, early on, it's talent, right? Uh, Everyone from large companies to small are talking about talent. So I think I would like to call out that, you know, talent is still an issue. Um, A second is, I think, um, just getting it more mainstream. So going beyond when you look at large enterprises and such, getting it beyond just a uh, few data scientists tink- tinkering on few models to actually production scale deployment of machine learning models, I think um, that's another burden. And that means, and from a startup perspective, um, that means how do they uh, create that you know, ethos of building and leveraging AI as a tool, right? How are they constantly simplifying the process? Um, but I, I'm seeing some really strong CTOs who are doing a great job um, because um, th- we, I was joking about this recently. Most AI companies are data labeling, like service companies, kind of thing. You know, there, there's a lot of annotation and manual labor that's going on in the background, but. I'm seeing several of our portfolio companies actually emerge and break through that because that's a scaling problem, right? I mean, if everything needs to be labeled and you need like a ton of manpower to do the labeling and things like that. Um, So I think those are some of the areas, um, I would say, where there is still some bottleneck um, around it. And then I think uh, also in terms of by... um, Thinking about the use cases where it's being applied, uh, you know, and security issues around like how is the customer accessing the data, things like that. And then finally, um, I have to also talk about sort of the explainability and the importance of um, not having that black box phenomenon, right? So a lot of startups may have something cool, uh, but um, if their customers want to understand why AI model, you know decided a certain outcome. How do I peel the layers and look at, you know, what was the thought process behind it? Um, As humans, I think we are uncomfortable when we are not able to rationalize (laughs) the thought process, right, behind something. And I think that'll be another thing that going forward um, will be important that you don't feel like you're sending data into a black box and out comes this magic result, right? You want to know why, um, and that will become you know that has so many levels of societal impact uh in terms of unconscious bias or conscious bias even um how do you prevent how do you sort of create opportunities for everybody things like that um and i think that 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 would be an important area um, as well
0: and what role do research organizations play in the AI space? Are they still relevant? Is there a lot of technologies, AI-based coming out of research organization and are being spun off into companies?
1: I think research organizations are very important because when you think about uh, some of the more technical next generation solutions, right? they come from research organizations. Um, One of my, frankly, my personal concern is um, you, you see a lot of professors like leaving and starting startups um on one end i'm very excited about about it but on the other end it makes me wonder what will happen to future talent pool right if the professors leave if the really good professors leave um how will and uh, how will the next generation of uh, you know the technologists who's going to teach them and like create that pipeline of uh, you know uh, successful leaders or technology leaders in that specific field. Uh, that's something that I'm always uh, nervous about when I when I always hear about like some pro- I love it when professors also know that, you know, we had this conversation around founders before um, if they say, hey, you know, my interest is more in the technology and I will help you spin it out and then I'm going to go back to my research and like work on the next big thing. I would love that just so that we don't lose that uh, you know, uh, forward thinking sort of innovative minds um, to more commercial reasons. But you know that's me being selfish, I think. Uh, but yeah, I, I think research organizations play a big role. And I think research organizations also have a key role to play in some of the neutrality topics, like explainability that I talked about, right. Um, most commercial entities that are you know profit oriented, um, you know their their intent is not malicious. But their intent is, at the end of the day, de- driving value to their shareholders. So if that's the case, they're not necessarily thinking about the ramifications of everything. So this is where I think research organizations can highlight the gaps. They can provide solutions. They can also participate in the open source ecosystem to drive some of the you know um, ethical issues and other open sort of uh, issues that we need to see uh, happen in AI.
0: Good to hear that. So there's still a good reason for research organizations to be in the AI game and supporting the ecosystem. Absolutely. Now, let's switch to the corporate side that you are working for. Why did Micron decide to say as a semiconductor company, we are going to hire someone who is excellent at investing into startups and at the same time and an AI expert?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Very good question. Micron, uh, I think, is very uh, innovative and understands the need for um, building out the ecosystem, right? So, innovation comes from within, but innovation also comes from around us. And the innovation that comes from around us can have an equal impact on what we are building inside and what we are offering even today in the market. Um, so, in uh, late 2018, Micron announced the launch of a $100 million AI fund. Uh, focused on various verticals. The verticals that we are focused on as manufacturing, automotive, healthcare, agriculture, and also core technologies that enable and accelerate the adoption of machine learning and AI. Um, So uh, I'll break it down, uh, your question, into two sort of uh, answers. Why we pick these verticals, and uh, and before I go there, why AI? Because a lot of uh, people have asked me that. I mean, you guys are, you know, leaders in memory. I mean, DRAM and, like, storage and NAND and SSDs. Uh, What do you have to do with AI? Why are you doing anything in AI? Do you have a compute, uh, you know, chip or something like that? That comes up a lot. Good Um, question. (laughs) Exactly. So when we truly think about we were talking about technology and research organizations and we talked about advanced statistical models to the deep learning, uh, deep neural networks and, you know, the various new other, uh, you know, convolutional neural networks and other forms of them. So when we talk about statistical models, I think compute is more important. But when we talk about deep neural networks, um, memory becomes a key player um, in that. And I'll tell you how. Um, if you think about a deep neural network, is basically layers of neural network, and there is uh, there's basic simple compute that's happening. Multiply the weights with the input, then store that. It's basically matrix multiplication and addition, right? But it's happening at each level or layer within that neural network, because it's a deep neural network, the more layers that are there. So every time the, the you can have the fastest compute, but your weak, uh, the weakest link in that is going to be how long it takes for the data to be fetched from memory, and then do the compute, send it back, store it, again, fetch it. So you're spending a lot of time just Fetching the data, doing the compute, storing it. So you can have the fastest compute, but if you're limited on that bandwidth, you're gonna, or on your memory capacity, then that's going to be your bottleneck, right? So we think that AI is going to challenge the compute architecture, especially, and certain workloads more so than others. Um, For us, this is a way to understand the innovation that's happening in this space, uh, what kind of workloads are getting deployed. And then as a result, Uh, use that knowledge to educate our own roadmaps, uh, understand how we can contribute, and also message our uh, product's value proposition um, in this space. Um, Why did we pick the verticals that we did? Uh, manufacturing. I mean, we are one of the largest uh, manufacturers of. We have our own fabs in multiple locations in the world. Um, so anything that can help us improve our manufacturing capabilities that that helps us. And we want to embrace the cutting edge technology so we can drive productivity within our own uh, you know manufacturing floor. So we look at AI applied in manufacturing or Industry four. Um, Automotive, we actually have the largest market share in automotive when it comes to memory and storage. Um, So this is an area, in fact, um, I think we'll be uh, hitting like 30 years in the automotive space uh, for us. So this is an area of importance for us. We want to keep our eyes and ears open for the next generation of innovation coming in. And if you think about autonomous uh, driving and such, they're going to drive uh, or increase the usage of memory and storage, right? Because all the more data that's being consumed by the cars and such. So we want to keep an eye open to that innovation that's happening in the ecosystem. Uh, Healthcare and agriculture, frankly, it's twofold. Um, One is uh, healthcare, you're talking about personalized medicine. We were just talking about AI and drug discovery and so on. Large volumes of data are getting ingested. Uh, so anytime there's data ingested, they have to be stored somewhere, right? <laughs> so we want to understand this market. Similarly, with agriculture, now we are talking about IoTification almost of in the agriculture space. Sensors getting added, measuring every single input, weather patterns, so on. Um, again, a lot of data being generated. So we want to track that, but. More importantly, we also think that those are two areas um, broadly in the ecosystem that can help humankind move forward, right? Good good healthcare and good food is important for everyone, no matter what. Probably. Um, and if we can contribute and uh, support startups that are doing something cutting edge there, then we want to play a role. And then anything in the core technology, as I mentioned, it helps accelerate this uh, this new wave of technology, and we want to support support that. That's kind of our uh, goal and intent, um, I would say.
0: And how does the interaction model look like? How does the corporate Micron benefit from the startups? And also, of course, vice versa? Is it just the money that they receive from you? (laughs)
1: Uh, I would like to think not, (laughs) so uh, (laughs) let me... uh, (laughs) I expected that. Uh, in terms of the value to Micron, as I said, this uh, we are kind of the windows to the innovation happening ahead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as a as a company that's focused on specific market segments, it's very easy to just be very strong innovators in that space. But understanding, sort of uh, taking off the blinders and looking at other areas and how that impacts us, uh, so we we are that. You know, window to that innovation. We we do several things from um, organizing events where our leaders, our executives get to meet startups, thought leaders, research organizations, various customers sort of come together and talk about what they see. Um, Even just the idea of like, when we look at a specific segment, AI in a certain space, quantum computing, or things like that, we are able to go back to our executives and give them that exposure. Uh, of what we are seeing um in in the in the market and in some cases some of the companies that we invest in like i said we leverage that technology, we become customers of that technology because we think that it can help Micron grow and be a better company. And in some cases, we partner with some of these uh, companies that we invest in uh, because we think we can do something better jointly together, right? Uh, so uh, the last two examples that I gave you, those are some of the value add to the startup as well. You know, Getting Micron as a customer, um, we are a Fortune 500 company, $100 billion cap- market cap. Um, I would think that any startup would love to have us as a customer. Uh, So that's a big value. Again, a partner, thought partner. Uh, We are one of the leaders in the semiconductor industry. We can uh, hopefully open doors for our startups in the semiconductor space uh, by working closely with them, maybe doing case studies and such. These are other areas that we can also help. Um, And just uh, giving them access uh, to some of our internal, you know, d fellows we have um, many smart engineers and sort of scientists within the company uh, potentially giving them access to those kind of thought leaders as well um, some of the startups have hardware they're building hardware but they're not necessarily good at the hardware side they are good at understanding the use case but the hardware is just a means to you know enable that solution we understand hardware we can provide insights on the hardware piece uh, so those are areas that we try to help and assist the uh, startups that we invest in
0: understood and i think it's pretty clear that there are mutual benefits for for both parties involved but what what are the kind of pitfalls that you sometimes see where it where where is it becoming difficult to really generate the value that you just were talking about
1: one of the things that I'm very upfront is, um, you know, having been in various, you know, large organizations and small startups. You know, I was VP of product at a couple of startups as well. So uh, my biggest, I understand both sides of the table. So I set a realistic expectation, right? I I try not to overpromise things, but where I can um, help ease the process, ease the journey, kind of uh, lubricate the cogs in a a giant organization. I try to be that conduit, right? Uh, So for one of the companies where we are a customer, they're like, hey, you know, can you help find this person, right? Because we are a large organization. They may not Mm -hmm. know that key person, right? Uh, And sometimes it's not about, um, does Micron value that uh, technology or not? It's about finding that right person within Micron who will see the value of the technology. And a startup, it's it's hard for them to navigate within a big company like that, right? So by making that connection, we can do the digging internally to identify that right person within Micron to connect the company with, right? That those are some things. Uh, speed is something that you know, as a large corporate, it's hard, but we we've, we've tried our best to simplify the process and many ways that we can. Um, and I, I would say I'd be remiss if I don't thank our executive teams, right? They've they've been super smart uh, in understanding that uh, sometimes in venture, speed is the name of the game, right, uh, especially in really good companies um, that that have multiple sort of investors excited. Uh, how fast can you move? Um, so we definitely try, try to optimize. But at the end of the day, um, you know, Given that I'm not relying on AI to make the investment decisions and I'm doing it, I, I, I have only so many hours in the day, so uh, I'm bandwidth limited sometimes. So those are some of the issues, frankly. Um, some uh, right now we are at the we're at a good place where I think uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are reaching out, and so it, we have the problem of not enough time to be able to, you know, that I would say is our biggest barrier right now. <laughs>
0: And what are typical mistakes you see from the founders and the startup side when they approach you as a corporate? And is there a difference when you approach a corporate versus an institutional VC?
1: Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they're doing something wrong. Um, this is more of a generic. I think a lot of CBCs are, uh, have a mix of strategic and financial goals. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say we are different, at least from Micron's perspective. Um, we are financially motivated and strategically, but strategic is very, uh, how you define strategic is very broad, right? It could be from uh, oh immediate use of that technology to, we just want to understand the ecosystem eyes and ears. So, uh, but our belief is fundamentally financial success is important because uh, that shows that we are picking the winners in that space that have the ability to uh, change or shape that market that they play in. Um, so, with that, with that said, I think um, understanding. Uh, You know, it's kind of like a sales pitch, right? At the end of the day, um, I, I tell a lot of people VCs have to be good at selling, too. And I think it's the same for founders, knowing your audience and knowing what excites them. So this is it comes down to why are you building what you're building? What is the problem that you're solving is that a big enough problem um and uh, how how are you well differentiated from the other players in the market and are you going to make money for your investors and be that successful company and uh, sometimes founders fall into the trap of talking more about their technology and not necessarily how they're different um i think uh, it, if you go to business school, you'll hear about all these case studies where you know good technology is not always the winner and so on, right? So I think that's a key lesson, especially for technical founders to understand, uh, the, bring to the table the value of the technology and also how they're better, but also why their technology is going to make um, make that market almost, right? create that market, create that demand, um, and as a result, drive growth, uh, financial growth and success as well.
0: Very well understood. Uh, So picking the winners in terms of their commercial value they can bring is definitely, of course, core of the strategy. But you already touched upon healthcare, for example, where you said like, are we also doing that because we can do something good for the world? How do you think about... Impact to what extent can AI help us to create more impact? And is that something that motivates you to be a VC?
1: Absolutely, I I think, um, you know, again, I I think it'll come to a point where AI is one of the tools. in in our society right again i'm not talking about the general intelligence piece i'm just talking about the sure. narrow uh, and i think there's so much good that can happen uh, especially in the healthcare field and so on because if you if you look at you know again as as i mentioned earlier the difference between humans and machines right humans have empathy right if you look at doctors uh, would you rather have your doctor like spend a lot of time reading charts or would you have them talk to the patient? A patient who has received a very hard diagnosis that they're not able to digest. Uh, I would like the doctor spend some time... Uh, with empathy to the patient and also doing the best they can. But this is where machines can actually support them, you know, in the data crunching and the more repetitive tasks that are involved. All right? Uh, we have invested in a company called Iterative Scopes, uh, which actually helps in early detection of um, Cancer, colon cancer, uh, right? So you you uh, when when a doctor is performing a colonoscopy, there are many kind of polyps, uh, polyps that like that are bigger that can be easily spotted, and then there's something called a serrated polyp that's very small. Um, when you're when you're traversing through a colon, um, it, it is it's very easy to miss things, all right? But this is where I think. Machines don't get tired. Uh, machines don't have a good day or a bad day, right? They, they're always, they always, they're going to be not as error prone. Uh, again, humans don't have, it's not that humans intentionally make mistakes. It's just that there's so many things that make us uh, weak in certain areas, but strong in something else. So this is an area where AI can actually help help identify or you know, show that, hey, you may be missing out this polyp, what looks like a polyp, right? You make the call, but I'm going to bring your attention to it. So now the machine has actually made the human more effective, more efficient, right? So those are ways where now I can focus on my strengths and something else does the things that, you know, I may not be good at, right? Um, and I think those are the kind of things where um, AI can add a lot of value um, in my opinion. So, uh, that's just one example in, in a healthcare and another company that we've invested in Omnitia, wants to like create, um, uh, just like how easy it is to go do blood tests. They want you to be able to do a genetic test like that. So that means you can know what you're, uh, you know, what you're susceptible to, and you can be more preventive in your health, you know, treatments right so there's another company that we've invested in it's not public yet in the healthcare space and i'm giving you those because we were talking about healthcare um another very uh, you know very classic example of, example of personalized medicine where it treats each human being as different and can tailor them to the needs of that person right and i think that's where ai really shines because it's able to take that data um and give us that kind of uh, analysis or insight and then free up the human to do something that's more uh, fulfilling right for for us that is more enriching for us
0: makes a lot of sense so so thank you for for those insights and so actually the ai supporting the human human being uh doing his or her job better and thereby even creating more impact this is the vision that you have for for the healthcare market Final question also to you, coming back to the crystal ball and the VC kind of perspective into the future. What is the one AI application that you would love to see five years down the road?
1: I, I frankly think something where a lot of the repetitive tasks, as I said, you know, um, if it can help remove repetitive tasks, which are not necessarily... Uh, fulfilling, and also the ones that can be automated and should be automated, and it's happening already. Uh, right? Um, where can we leverage humans and sort of and AI or intelligence from machines to do things collaboratively? Uh, areas like we talked about earlier about AI and drug discovery. I mean, uh, finding a molecule um, that can. You know, be leveraged for certain drugs or drug repurposing is another area that I'm hearing is very hard to do because um, you need to know how it can be applied. I think if anything where you can simplify and enable these new answers, you know, create new materials, things like that, I think would be interesting. And I think we are already headed in that direction. I'm already seeing a lot of companies. Uh, cropping up in those areas. So I'm very excited for the future uh, from that standpoint.
0: So rather than the one application, you feel more like this widespread adoption of AI in different fields as this backup for the human being, this is what you really would like to see
1: Yeah, am am I looking for uh, myself to be replaced by AI? No, not really. (laughs) There there are certain things where, um, you know, I you do you you know we've talked right. Oh, I wish there was a clone. I could clone myself to do something. Mm -hmm. But if you really what you're asking is not um, an exact replica of yourself, but you want to take away the repetitive tasks, so you have the freedom and the time to focus on the more creative endeavours, right? Um, That you you shine, that you're able to spend your brain power thinking about that next vision and future. Um, and, you know, entering numbers in an Excel spreadsheet don't qualify as that, you know, creative <laughs> thinking. <laughs> Maybe that's something that, human, you know, machines can do a really good job of. Right. Uh, so um, that that's which brings my... Me,
0: which brings me to a second, final question. Do you really think AI will at some point replace the venture capitalist?
1: Um, It's a great question. I I think it's a combination. I do think that data-driven decisions. You're already seeing a lot of startups embrace that. I think the reason why it's not more widespread is because a lot of the companies that you interact with startups, right, um, they are private data. You don't have, there is no single data source uh, that can, you know, absorb all of this know private information that that can not only tell you you know there are companies that have whole pitch decks maybe they can do nlp on those pitch decks but what they miss is the success of that company right a lot of companies they'd have a pitch deck but you don't know what happened right so being able to collate all of that maybe in the future there'll be that platform that's able to collate all the pitch decks that are in one platform to all the you know market data around like exits and fundraisers and and another and be able to But I think, uh, unfortunately, we're not there yet. And some of that data is is still in in the human's mind, right? Like multiple human beings who know what happened in their portfolio, you know, in their success and failures. And there's a lot to be learned from the failures, not just the successes, right? Um, And those are the data that's hard to come by. Uh, So, you know, there's... There's so many startups being you know created. Um, and not everyone becomes the next Facebook or the Amazon or the Google, right? Only a few do. Um, so uh, you may end up having that bias towards those companies. You may say, oh, it's like you know pointing to a few examples as opposed to a more generalized set that also looks at the failures and able to. And I think that's where it's going to be hard, getting access to that data to create those models.
0: Yeah, and probably it would get very boring if we could actually predict by using AI who is going to be the winners, right? Because... and, and also no, it,
1: <laughs> I think the, the drawback of that, Thurston, I think is we are foolish beings. At the end of the day, we are very... Uh, we we chase after what makes us happy, right? And a lot of times, something that catches my fancy that I think is going to be the next thing that we is a society need, not everyone will agree to that, right? But right. if there is a magic formula for this is why this company is going to be successful, then those crazy out there ideas may never happen because they're gonna plug their idea into the system and then they'll say, no, this won't be successful, so I'm not gonna do it when in reality, uh, that could have a big impact on humankind. So I think uh, I think you lose all those crazy ideas if <laughs> if everything becomes so automated.
0: Absolutely. And that's the very nature of innovation that it is that it is different, and that you are going beyond the status quo. And it's also why venture capitalists, venture capital exists, so that you actually invest into those companies and in some crazy ideas. And you shape the future by investing into something where many people say, like, Why would you invest into that? That doesn't make sense. Turns out 10 years later, it's the next unicorn. So well, uh, whether at any point, a machine will be able to predict that, or to calculate that, or however we want to call it. To be seen, but I think we are both both excited to to see this development and uh, let's let's see where it takes us.
1: Absolutely, and that's where I, I have to say hats off to the researchers and the founders for playing in that cutting edge space, and the founders for you know putting up with the VCs uh, saying no to them. You know, and just waiting for that one VC to say yes to them, right? Uh, it takes a lot of patience and perseverance. So, uh, very much appreciative of the entrepreneurs and the researchers who are pushing us, you know, uh, keeping us moving in the next uh, to the next generation. So,
0: absolutely, Gee, and I appreciated your time. Thank you very much. It was a lovely chat. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, Thank you very much for also putting all your effort into this AI field. And we will both observe what's coming next. And, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm observing what you're going to invest in in the future.
1: Thanks, Thorsten. Thanks for your time. Really pleasure talking to you today. And Enjoy your day. day. Good bye night. bye <laughs>